Hi, hello, and welcome back to James Cameron's Titanic Scene by Scene. I'm Brittany Butler. I'm Ethan Brim. And we are back. Back and better than ever. Uh, (laughs) But we are finishing up UC people. So, as usual now, before we get into the scene, want to take a minute to read an email. Uh, Another very long email. But again, I love these. It's so nice to feel the passion that other people have for the movie and the passion that they now have for the podcast in turn. It's like really nice to know that there are people out here that are listening and enjoy it um, on this level. It's really nice. Yeah, I like the long emails. Here we go. This is from Bree Dawn and she says... My name is Bree, and I just wanted to take a minute to express my eternal gratitude to you guys for making a podcast that is entirely dedicated to all things Titanic. I remember watching it with my mom for the first time, kind of like you, Brittany. It was such a great bonding time for us, and it really moved me emotionally. I remember being so enamored with Jack Dawson, as well as temporarily wishing that I could just marry Leo. I love that you guys dive into Titanic from not only a critic-ish perspective, but also from a fan and historical perspective. You add little gems of behind-the-scenes events and backstory nuggets that just really help to flesh everything out. This is honestly my favorite podcast probably ever, and I can't wait to see how and what you guys get into with some of the later scenes. Cough the drawing scene, cough, cough. My favorite part of the entire movie is actually the score, and I love how you guys talk about that, considering that so many people leave the music out of reviews and discussions. Mm -hmm. But I'm a very musical person, so it's kind of a given that I'll notice and oftentimes become very emotionally invested in the music and score slash soundtrack. And Titanic just blew me away because James Horner was a movie score genius, R.I.P., um, I apologize for my email being so rambly and poorly organized. Not even, Brie. Calm down. This is wonderful. Um, my thoughts are often so messy and disorganized when it comes to movies as glorious and perfect as Titanic. What are each of you guys' favorite scenes? You've probably mentioned it before in the podcast, but I can't remember, and I'd like to know because I'm a curious bean. I hope both of you are well and can't wait to settle in sometime soon and listen to the newest episode. Your loyal listener and fellow Titanic fangirl, Brie Dawn. So thank you, Brie. That was a nice email. Yeah, I love these. Um, I don't know if I want to, like, just put out what my favorite scene is, like, right now I don't know and also like I don't even know if I have one I have one you do yeah oh gosh okay I, I've said a thousand times on this podcast already I love this scene so much I love this scene so much so yeah like I don't really know um because the whole thing works so well as a whole that yeah, I can't sure. I can't really think of yeah, yeah. something I would pick out as being like oh that's like my favorite well maybe do you have a favorite part like maybe not a whole scene but like uh like just one moment or it would probably be something cliche like the flying scene honestly just because Mm. it's gorgeous um and there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that scene that we'll obviously discuss when we get there but then i'm also oddly obsessed with the sinking sequence and i am too oh my god i watch it over and over again i feel so bad that i'm like watching these people's actual personal hell like over and over but there's like one part um where they're just about to go down and rose looks over to the chef that is also clinging to the rail And they both just kind of look at each other and it's this surreal moment and there's this cello that goes and it's like, holy crap, 
the ship is officially going to be gone it, in, in a few minutes now. And they're heading straight down, and that score does the. And then you hear like the creaking of the ship, and you hear like the um, there's like these sounds as well that are like, like you know what I mean? It, oh, it's, it's, he utilizes this like the silence, like mm-hmm. he drops the score momentarily. Mm. And you can hear just, yeah, like the creaks and the... the but you can hear it through the score as well. Yeah, though, that too. But what, that one moment when they're just all, like, yelling, mm-hmm. when they're after, like, the boat is pretty much... Vertical? Yeah, and it, you, it just... I don't think... There's no score at one, at one moment, right? And it's just... You yeah. can just hear them, like, yelling and... So when the ship is vertical and everyone's, like, hanging and falling and screaming... That... Yeah. Yeah. There, there. The score is there, but it's, but it's very, very, very faint, and it's just like, ah, or something, right? And like, I'll say it. That's probably my favorite moment. Yeah. And like, it gives you that space to hear, Mm. like, time stops. This is like a strictly like filmmaking point of view too. Like the way it's depicted is so. uh, I mean, it's sad, but it's like beautiful in a way. You can't look away. Yeah. Like it's like I don't know. How did it really describe it? But I mean, we'll get there, obviously. Yeah. But my favorite part that's not in the sinking scene is probably with the beginning with Old Rose, like when she's talking. Mm. I like Old Rose. I know, <laughs> I know you, you don't do. like her as much as I like her, but I, like I know Old you Rose. do. That's cute, though. But anyway, so the second part now of the scene starts with Ruth, Rose's mother, with the Countess and another mm. woman, I believe. I'm not sure who it is, though. Uh, and they're having tea. And Ruth says, But the purpose of university is to find a suitable husband. Rose has already done that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, that's just how, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that's how things were back then, but it's to me, it's laughable when like parents think that they know what a suitable mate is for their kids, you know? Oh, yeah. That's the part that is most laughable to me. Mm-hmm. It's Cal, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny, too. It's like, oh, yeah, forget university for learning. You know, it's all about going there to find a suitable <laughs> yeah, husband. Too, yeah. And so Molly Brown comes over and they go, oh, God, like, let's get up before she sits with us. I, I love it because, you know, she's like, oh, hello, ladies. I was hoping I'd catch you at tea. And then, oh, we're awfully sorry you missed it. The Countess and I were about to go take the air on the boat deck. And then Molly Brown just inserting herself. Oh, what a lovely idea. I need to catch up on my gossip. <laughs> and they're like, well, we couldn't get rid of her. I feel like Molly Brown kind of knows that. Oh, yeah. How they feel about her. But she's just like, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. she's so alpha that it's like. And she's like Jack in that way. Like we've talked yeah, about. She's like, she, I, she bridges the gap between the glasses. He, exactly. Yeah. And she's like, I don't care what people think about me i'm going to do what i want to do she almost like puts herself deliberately in situations to like create an awkward situation yeah but she kind of like does it to entertain herself in a way i think <laughs> i think scenes like this they make her feel like an outsider yeah and in turn we relate to her a little bit more and we mm-hmm. want to root for her a little bit more yeah um, she's probably my favorite character oh yeah everyone i think a lot of people love her in yeah. this movie so then it cuts from that well it doesn't cut it sort of pans over to the captain and Ismay sitting and you know having tea or coffee and you know Ismay's having a smoke together yeah. and Ismay is reading the logs of you know how the ship's doing and everything and he says so you've not yet lit the last four boilers no I don't see the need 
We are making excellent time. The Pressner's the size of Titanic. Now I want to marvel at her speed. We must give them something new to print. This, this maiden voyage, voyage of Titanic, Titanic must make headlines. headlines. <laughs> Which also is a setup for a really powerful line halfway through yeah. the movie. Yeah. But it also is, of course, a setup for the fact that obviously Titanic's obviously, maiden voyage makes yeah. headlines for all the wrong reasons. We're still talking about it over 100 years later. Yeah. So again, that's kind of like an eh line to put in there but hey this is partially true here I, I wrote it in my notes here that this is kind of a controversial scene a little bit because people are a little bit on the fence about whether or not this conversation actually took place mm-hmm. but I think it did and the historical stuff to back this up is that there was a woman named Elizabeth Lindsay Lines she claimed to have overheard a very similar conversation take place between the captain and Ismay. Hmm. And if you look in the background of the scene, they put in that woman. Wow, really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah, so if you look like right over Ismay's left shoulder, our right, okay. there's a woman drinking tea. And at one point, she gives them the side eye. She looks right over to them really? and, she okay. has, and she has her teacup and she just kind of looks. And she was kind of supposed to, you know, be symbolic of this woman, Elizabeth Lindsay Lines, who claimed to have overheard this conversation. And what she heard was Ismay say that they will beat the Olympic and, you know, get into New York early or whatever. And uh, the Olympic is Titanic's sister ship. Um, And some of the people said that Ismay, he would have no reason to care about the speed of the ship or whatever, but there are other people who think that it's not far-fetched that he would have headlines on his mind. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, he's the head of White Star Line, and he wants this to get good press, you know? I think it's more realistic that he did care about the speed than not care about the speed. Mm-hmm. I think it's because that Titanic wasn't meant to be like a speed ship or whatever. So they were like, eh, it doesn't make sense that he would want it to go faster yeah. or whatever. But when you think about the situation and I think it makes sense. Yeah. But it's fluff and stuff too. You know, it's like, oh, it's amazing. Plus it got here a couple of days early. Exactly. For me, the only thing that I thought of in that moment was if I was a passenger on the ship, I would want an extra like couple of days like, I'd be like, ah, oh, man, my trip's cut short, you know? Yeah. I wanted it to... To enjoy the ship would... a little bit more, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so Ismay is, like, urging the captain to lit the last four boilers and really speed up the ship so that they can make it to New York on Tuesday night and surprise them all or whatever and make the morning papers. And he says, retire with a bang, AEJ. <laughs> And, you know, the captain is considering it and he's like, good man. As we've said before, you know, everything that happened with the Titanic disaster was a perfect storm. Just everything just went wrong or everything that could have happened happened to lead to this. So, but yeah, so that's a little interesting tidbit. um, Yeah, that's really Historical thing to look out for in that scene. That's probably my, like, maybe my favorite piece of trivia so far. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. The attention to detail they put in. Like, who's going to look at that woman over his shoulder? Like, you know what I mean? But but there she is. Very cool. And there's also another footnote here in the screenplay that also kind of addresses something other people point out as being a flaw, which we've talked about, actually. The way people say, how would Rose know this? You know what I mean? Like a scene like this, like how would Rose know this conversation between the captain and whatever? Oh yeah, because it 
it veers away from the perspective, basically. Yeah, and, like, it's her story, so how would she know, and why would she be telling us this? You know, obviously, it's just for us to know and learn. Sure, yeah. But there is a blurb here that says directly to the scene, In combining fiction with history, Cameron was concerned about showing events to which Rose could not have been a witness. The conversation between Captain Smith and J. Bruce Ismay is a perfect example. To Cameron's way of thinking, however, Old Rose has had decades to read the historical accounts yeah. of the sinking and incorporate the relevant information into her personal experience. It is a common technique in first-person narrative. Yeah, see? Yeah, so there you go, people. Watch the commentaries, people. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, that's totally true. And I feel like Rose probably was aware of things that have came out about the Titanic. Yeah, of course. I mean, as she was here at 101, she heard it on the TV and immediately turned and listened, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure she wasn't keeping herself in the dark about, you know, news that came out about it. I mean, Ismay survived too, though, right? Yes. They're definitely trying to point the finger. Did he ever get in trouble for anything? Or? All, all I know is that he was just very heavily considered, yeah. you know, a coward. A culprit, yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yes. Definitely worth mentioning. Um, And that blurb as well about, you know, James Cameron being aware that Rose wasn't present for this. It wasn't, again, this stuff didn't slip his mind, you know, so I I like knowing that. After this, it cuts back to Jack and Rose still having this conversation on the deck. It's like sunset now. Again, they've clearly been talking longer than we've Mm -hmm. seen. Um, And there is a deleted scene. Um right before this one that shows us a little bit more of what they talked about and I love it as well okay and the deleted scene I believe is called Rose's Dreams and uh it's just more of their conversation and we keep getting layers peeled back about who Rose is as a person and and what her dreams and aspirations are and why her current life why she hates it so much because she knows you know she's not going to be able to fulfill these dreams you know my dream has always been to just run away and become an artist living in a garret poor but free (laughs) in the last two days there's no hot water and hardly ever any caviar I happen to hate caviar and I hate people telling me what dreams I should and shouldn't have I'm sorry you're right Everybody expects me to be this delicate little flower, which I'm not. I'm sturdy, I'm strong as a horse. I'm here to do something, not just sit around and be decorative. That line about her saying that she hates caviar was also a setup for in the first class dinner where they offer him caviar and he says, no thanks, never did like it much, and she kind of chuckles. It's because she had already said that she doesn't like caviar, but that's what I said before, that there were way too many setups and payoffs if they had kept them into the point where it's not a cute wink and a nod anymore. It's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so it's too overt at some yes, point. Yes, yes. I like that too because he obviously hasn't had caviar before. Yeah. And the way it's put in, it just sounds like something like a funny joke. He's just yeah, exactly. Kind of like saying yeah, exactly. Like, like us it. us not having the setup doesn't change. Honestly, I think not having this makes the line better. Mm-hmm. Like like yeah, it is, if you appreciate it a little more. It adds to him just being like thinking on his feet. Yeah, uh, I like it. And so basically the scene, she goes on to say her hands are made for work and she's sturdy as a horse and she's on this earth to be more than just a decorative, delicate little flower that everyone Mm. thinks she is and she's not. And there is like a steward comes over to her and says like, Care for something, miss? Would you like some tea or some bullion? No! (laughs) (laughs) There's 
something in me, Jack. Like a dynamo, I feel it. I don't know what it is, whether I should be an artist or a sculptor or, I don't know, a, a, a dancer like, like Isadora Duncan, a wild pagan spirit, or a moving picture actress. <laughs> Again, uh, I guess piggyback off of this scene that, hey, look, like she became an actress or whatever. Like she said, maybe she would do. Yeah, and she like runs over to a guy that was like filming on one of, with one of those cranky cameras and she like jumps in front of his camera and like does a dramatic pose (laughs) and Jack just kind of stands back and is smiling and letting her do her thing but yeah it's cute and it's fun and it's another good scene that shows Jack giving her the space she needs to just have fun Mm -hmm. and talk about her dreams that she never gets to talk about (laughs) you know yeah any thoughts on that I was going to say that about the camera guy. In real life, though, there's like a priest on board and he got off in Ireland. So like all of these photographs on the ship, I think almost all of them are from his camera. Thank God, though, right? Yeah, exactly. So so then after that, after we had this little you know moment with mm-hmm. Rose having fun and opening up a little bit more and we get to know a little bit more about her dreams, uh, then it cuts to this conversation that they're having with the beautiful golden red sunlight shining and just it's a shot of just them from behind over the shoulder and them just sort of looking at each other and having this conversation Mm. and I just love I do love that shot because I think it highlights the importance of human interaction (laughs) which I feel like we have lost a little bit today Um, like it's really important to just stand there or sit there with someone and just talk and get to mm-hmm. know this person. If Rose didn't do that with Jack, her life would not have been changed. If she didn't take the mm-hmm. time to get to know this person and uh, you know have them both open up to each other. So exactly. in this very small amount of time too, right? The importance of human relationships, no matter how long or short they are, are mm-hmm. very important. And I think this movie does a really good job of showing us just how important they can be if you, yeah. if you allow it. Because you'll never know if someone's going to change your life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're having this conversation and he's telling her that he went down to the pier in Santa Monica, did drawings for 10 cents a piece, which is also a setup (laughs) for when in the drawing scene, Rose throws a dime at him and calls herself a paying customer Mm -hmm. because he did drawings for 10 cents a piece. Literally every single minute of this movie was a setup for something later. Had they, you know, yeah. Had it been the four-hour version. Yes, it would have been so overkill. So he tells her that he did that and that he um, worked on a squid boat in Monterey and all this stuff. And again, she's just like, oh my God, he has seen the world. He's done all this stuff and he's poor, but he's happy and everything, you know. And, you know, she says it. She goes, why can't I just be like you, Jack? Just head out for the horizon whenever I feel like it. And then I love the way she's already talking as if they're going to do all this stuff together. (laughs) like you know what I mean she goes say we'll go there sometime to that pier she knows he's not gonna say no to it yeah well (laughs) and she's like even if we only ever just talk about it and he's like no we'll do it we'll go to the pier and we'll drink cheap beer and we'll ride on the roller coaster till we throw up and you know we'll ride horses in the beach which is probably the biggest setup Mm -hmm. in maybe the whole movie why because it's a setup for literally the last one of the last important shots in her cabin in the when she's asleep or whatever is happening. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a setup, which I guess is easy to miss if you're not like really paying attention to their conversation. Mm. Like my cousin Keith just caught that 
setup when we saw it. And then yeah. the, the setup is that the last picture they show when they're panning over her photographs at the end is her riding a horse on the beach in the surf at the Santa Monica Pier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is what they said they were going to do together. Mm-hmm. And so Keith was like, I noticed that for the first time. That was kind of rough. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> when you notice certain things, you know, it, it all kind of adds up a little bit more. But yeah, so, you know, he says that they'll do that. She has to ride uh, like a real cowboy, none of that side saddle stuff, which is what she's doing in the picture as well. Mm-hmm. And she goes, can you show me? And he's like, yeah. And then, you know, she goes, teach me to ride like a man and chew tobacco like a man and spit like a man. <laughs> he's just this free spirit. So he's like, hey, yeah, like, who cares? Come on, I'll show you right now. I think in this moment, this is one of the moments where if you pay attention, you realize how much they say each other's names in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is a big gripe people have with it is the fact that it's like, Jack, Rose, Jack, Rose, Rose, Jack, Jack, Jack. There's like a super cut of all the times they've said each other's names out there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and it's a lot. And But what, I, what gets me upset, though, is that people blame the screenplay. They're like, wow, James Cameron, what an awful writer to have written their names in there that much. But he didn't. That was all ad lib. They like oh, really? for a lot of the time they were just saying each other's names that much while they were filming. Really, it's a directorial fault, not a screenwriter's. Fault. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I do kind of put it on James Cameron as well, though. Then in that case, that he should have realized you guys are yeah. saying each other's names a little too much. <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe tone that down a bit. Yeah. Uh, eh, but what can you do? Or maybe could have tried to edit them out a little bit more, but. What can you do? It's like in soap operas where they say each other's names all the time. So everyone <laughs> knows everyone's names. Well, this is melodramatic. Um, yeah, that's true. So who knows? But yeah, in this scene, she says Jack like eight times. I'll show you. Let's do it. What? I'll show you how. Come no. on. Jack! Oh, come no. on. Jack! Come on. No! Wait, Jack! Come on. I, no, Jack. Come I couldn't on. possibly, Jack. Wow. Yeah, she says it a lot within like five seconds. Well, at least they had the freedom to interpret it how they want to interpret it. Yeah. Those actors. Mm-hmm. You know, that was probably her being proper, too. Yeah. She's not just going to say, like, wait, no, stop, no, no. Like, she was just still trying to be formal with the whole thing constantly. Imagine if she said Mr. Dawson every time instead. No, Mr. Dawson, wait, Mr. Dawson, I can't, Mr. Dawson. I couldn't possibly, Mr. Dawson. <laughs> 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 that would have been so extra. Uh, I'm sure he would have noticed it by then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would <laughs> hope. Um, yeah, so he pulls her over to the side of the ship, and he just spits this giant you know, spit off the ship. And she's like, that's disgusting. And you know, he's like, now you try. And I think it is so funny and adorable how she just goes... And he's like, yeah. that was pitiful. He's like, you really got to hawk it up, get some body to it, you know? They have this whole thing where he's just teaching her how to spit off the side of the Titanic, which some historians thought was vulgar and wasn't very um, respectful to the mm-hmm. history. Uh, and there is a blurb here in the screenplay that says, the studio, other producers, and even some actors thought that the spitting scene was vulgar, not keeping with the Titanic legend. But I feel that's what's great about it. Of course, this is James Cameron speaking. Yeah. 
people are going to this movie expecting a certain creaky formality that they've always seen associated with historical dramas. Then there's this scene which turns that on its head. On an emotional level, it's the exact moment that Rose steps into Jack's world. Rose is very educated and mature for 17, and Jack is a very street smart 20. When they start spitting over the side, they both become kids again. I told Kate that I felt we needed the scene so that the audience could see her as a girl. By the time we got to rehearsals, Kate and Leo were happy with the scene, and audiences seemed to respond well to it too, and that's very satisfying to me as a writer. Um, which is funny, because yeah, when I just saw it in the theater, everyone was laughing, mm-hmm. everyone was having a good time with this scene, because it is yeah. fun. <laughs> so we have this moment where they're going back and forth, trying to spit, and then, of course, Ruth, Molly, Brown, and the Countess come walking over and just see them spitting off the side of the ship, and Jack turns around, and of course he has spit on his chin still, yeah. and Molly Brown as well tells him, hey son, you got something there, and he just, you know, wipes it off real quick, and it is just so funny the way Rose is like, mother, <laughs> may I introduce Jack Dawson? Great first impression. And this is the moment that I've kept saying how you don't want the voiceover to say what you're already saying. Yeah. We get old Rose saying, The others were gracious and curious about the man who'd saved my life. But my mother looked at him like an insect, a dangerous insect, which must be squashed quickly. Yeah. I don't know if that was that necessary. I'm sure James Cameron fell in love with that line and was like, it's got to be in the movie. I love that metaphor I just made up. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, they give a clear shot of Ruth looking at Jack and she's icy cold looking at him, you know? So, I mean, I don't think that we needed the extra mom was looking at him like an insect. Like, okay, well, we know she's looking at him like he's trash anyway, like, you know, so. We could have interpreted that through this podcast instead. We don't have to now because we have voiceover. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think that was one example of... Yeah, definitely. Let's see. It also kind of takes you out of it a little bit and you're reminded, oh, right, this is being told from someone. That's the other thing that's kind of risky about it because you're enjoying the story. Because I'm trying to think if there's another instance after this where you only hear her voice. Like that might be the last voiceover? Yeah, because I mean, there's other voiceovers, but it's always from directly a cut after we just seen her like old rose in present day and then whatever she's saying carries over into the next flashback Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to think because this one just comes out of nowhere like you're just in the middle of the scene and then suddenly you hear old rose talking again it's so random um it's not like right before a cut back to present day or right after a cut from present day so i'm just trying to think but we'll see it's the night of the dinner that jack was invited to and so mm-hmm. the bugle starts playing or whatever. And Why did they always insist on announcing dinner like a damn cavalry charge? <laughs> Shall we go dress, Mother? See you at dinner, Jack. She says, see you at dinner, Jack. Saying Jack again. And, um, <laughs> and I think it's cute that they film Jack and he's like watching her walk away. And he's like... I'm starting to really like this girl, like, you know, yeah. to the fact where Molly Brown is like, son, son, like trying to get his attention because he's too busy watching her. Uh, son, son, do you have the slightest comprehension what you're doing? Not really. Well, you're about to go into the snake pit. What are you planning to wear? 
figured. Come on. Can you imagine? Exactly. I wrote in my notes. I said, can you imagine if Jack just went walking into the first class dining area in his third class class? Man, opportunity missed James Cameron. <laughs> That would, I mean, that would have been so funny if he just went walking in there. Oh my god! I said I never thought about that. I like about how funny that actually is. And then I said, "How did Cal expect him to show up?" Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, because he knows he's a third class, right? Yeah, but he still invited him to the first class dinner. So he's like, "How did Rose think he was going to show up?" Yeah, it's just kind of funny. Like, like did no one think about this? Yeah. They just thought he was going to show up like that. I know. And so this was a question, though, that they had when they were doing the movie. They were like, okay, wait a minute. How do we get Jack in a suit (laughs) to go to the first class dinner? And it was um, Don Lynch, one of the historians. He was actually the one who suggested. He was like, well, Molly Brown had a son who was around Jack's age. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that she might have picked up a suit for her son while she was just in France. Um, you know, yeah. shopping. So he said, maybe you could have Molly Brown take Jack under her wing and bam, there it was. Yeah. It all really worked out, I think. Like we've said, Molly sort of bridges the gap between the classes and here she's like genuinely physically doing that <laughs> by taking Jack under her wing as a first class yeah. woman who used to not be a first class woman and, you know, is giving him this suit and sort of giving him a makeover, so to speak. You shine up like a new penny. <laughs> she does that laugh. <laughs> I love Gabby Bates. Uh, it's she great. understands the mindset of somebody in his shoes. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the best. But yeah, I personally feel like this sort of situation is is another thing that feels a little bit organic. Maybe mm-hmm. you know she did just buy this in France. I mean, it is a lot of what if, what if, what if sort yeah. of thinking. But at the same time, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. You know. Yeah, I like it. I mean. That's where it's like people who say it's written by like a 13-year-old girl. Like, no, if a 13-year-old wrote this, they would have said, I have a son and I was in France shopping for him and picked up a suit and now you have the suit. (laughs) Enjoy, Jack. Or if it was written by a 13-year-old girl, Jack would have shown up in his third-class clothes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wouldn't even... Which might not have been a bad thing, but yeah. I know, but wouldn't even (laughs) stop to think about the fact that maybe he should look presentable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the end of that scene, unless you have anything else you want to say. No. This being, I believe, the actual end of this scene as well on the mm-hmm. DVD scene selection, heading into going into the first class dinner. With that, we are officially one whole hour into this movie. Nice. Yeah. There you go. I'm very happy about that, actually. <laughs> and I looked at the timestamp and noticed that it said, like, 58 minutes or something mm-hmm. at this point. So I was like, oh, my God, finally. Like, Still not halfway through the movie, though, which is funny. Yeah, still not halfway through the movie. Uh, halfway through the movie literally is not until they hit the iceberg. Um, really? Yes. No way. It hits the iceberg pretty much exactly at the halfway point. Wait, like an, the like an hour, three hours and how many? Three hours and 15 minutes, and they hit the iceberg wow. at just over like an hour and a half. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. Didn't realize that. A lot happens in the next 30 minutes or 30 so. 30-some minutes, yeah. Yep, they hit the iceberg. I'm going forward right now. They sideswipe the iceberg at one hour and 40 minutes. Okay, yeah, so it's 
right over halfway. But if it's three hours and 15 minutes, then that probably is exactly halfway then. Oh, yeah, 15. No, but it would be halfway would be three hours. It would be one hour and 37 and a half minutes. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, close (laughs) enough. They one hour and 37 is actually when they spot the iceberg. Oh, there you go. This is a thrilling part of the episode, by the way. It is, actually. I mean, yo. I mean, look at the attention to detail they put into this. I mean, it is true when you think about that it really is two movies. You know, people always say that, like, the first half is more of the romance, and then the second half is, like, the disaster and everything. But it really is, like, the 90-minute movie is an hour and a half, right? Mm -hmm. What a typical 90-minute movie is. So, by the time you make it to when they hit the iceberg, you've already watched the length of a whole movie. Yeah. And now you're about to watch the whole length of another one. <laughs> it's crazy. So, but it's amazing. It's a good movie. It is. So with that, we are one hour into this thing, which is quite exciting. Uh, we got mm-hmm. two hours to go. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot is going to happen now moving forward. Yeah. Uh, but it's really exciting. And it's crazy. Like, I didn't even think we'd make it an hour into this thing, honestly. It felt like we were going to be talking about everything that we've already talked about for so much longer departure for yeah so yeah so it's exciting to think that we're getting into some really good stuff now and uh a really important scene to me is the next one yeah which should be fun and we're looking to get a guest on for that scene oh, yeah. which should be fun as well yeah it's kate winslet oh yeah by the way guys yeah we didn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! It'll be fun. Um, yeah, we're going to have Leo on soon. We got James Cameron on so that we could, you know, ask him all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, that'd be so cool. Imagine. Let's see. I think, yeah. So that's everything for this whole scene now, because this was part two of mm-hmm. You See People, uh, which also on the Blu-ray, this scene was also called Sketches and Stories. I was also going to say as well how great that scene looked actually when they were walking on the deck like the ocean and everything. That's all superimposed. Yeah, it's all CGI. All of that like, yeah, I mean the stationary ship was there. Green green screen, I mean. But like where the water was, that was a parking lot. Wow, that's cool. So so, I mean, I I do still think a lot of the stuff they did holds up amazingly. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so that's everything for this scene now. So thank you guys for listening. All the socials in the description. You know how it goes. Uh, Write to us all of the things we say at the end of every episode. So thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you in the next scene. See ya.